Welcome to the 23rd of August edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis, editor for today, and with me, the team comprise... I'm Catherine Neal. Hello. I'm Philip Lee. Good to be back with you. Hello, and I'm Jane Fairs. And... John Plush is, as ever, our recording engineer on the other side of the glass. He's waving at me. And many thanks to Carol Hartle, who is on copying and admin for this week's edition. I would like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include a long list of things, useful telephone numbers, for example, what's on in the local theatres, the headline stories, general news stories, some sport, obituaries, thought for the day, lighting up times and the birthdays. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. Please do keep sending us your feedback, good and bad, as the team here wants to make the recording as pleasurable and relevant as possible for you. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. Please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, just drop a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So let's start this week with some information. And to begin with, Jane is going to read out some relevant phone numbers, which we hope you'll find useful. For the police and non-emergency, 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800-555-111. Worcester Hub, for council matters, 01905-765-765. Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, and Henry Sandon Hall, 01905-611-427. Malvern Theatres, 01684-892277. Samaritans, now a free phone number, 116123. Here, at Colin Chance House, 01905 Seven six seven seven six six. Thank you. And uh, moving on to what's on locally. So to start with at the Swan Theatre this coming Saturday, you can see an award-winning production recreating the spectacle and energy of Tina Turner's live show. And that's £20 for the ticket. And on Sunday, the Swan Theatre will be hosting a summer fete for the day as part of the Worcester Festival, which is carrying on in Worcester until August the 28th. There are a variety of um, different events going on throughout the bank holiday weekend. So I would suggest if you are interested in looking up any of these different events, you go on the Worcester Live website, which is info at worcesterfestival.com. Dot co.uk dot and Worcester Festival is all lowercase and all one word 
Or if you prefer to telephone, you can phone the Worcester Live um, phone number, which has all the details of the festival, and that is 01905 611427. Uh, there are a couple of other things I wanted to draw to your attention that were was on as well. Um, at the Worcester City Museum and Art Gallery in Forgate Street, there is an exhibition about the war to end all wars. And also at the Avoncroft Museum at Stoke Heath, Bromsgrove, in the same theme. This is all to do with the 100-year celebration of the end of the First World War. Back in Blighty, Life on the Home Front, 1914 to 1918. And that exhibition is 10.30 till 5pm. It doesn't say... Oh, it says July to November, so that's going on for some time. A couple of other things to draw to your attention. A concert performed by one of the world's best male voice choirs is coming to the county to honour the memory of a local man who was cared for at Worcester Hospice. Morriston Orpheus Male Choir will be singing on Saturday, September the 29th at Pershaw Abbey from 7pm. The event is being organised by John and Sue Fletcher from Droitwich and all proceeds will be donated to St Richard's Hospice. For further information, contact John and Sue Fletcher on 01905 778 390. So that's information on what's on. And I think we'll move straight into the headlines for this week. And then Catherine, Phil and Jane and I will read you the details. So the headlines for Friday the 17th of August. You're going to sit in my blood. Sounds cheerful. Is that the story? Yes. Saturday. Shock over attack on OAP. Monday, punch victim fights for life. Tuesday, girl hit by bus. Wednesday, teens rush to John's rescue. And Thursday, today's headline, I'm going to <coughs> clinic to die. Not really a very cheerful set of headlines, I have to say, going into the back holiday weekend. But I'm delighted to tell you that in the general news stories, there is some good news that we can share with you. So if you'd like to start, Catherine, with the headline for the 17th. Yes, you're going to sit in my blood. <clears throat> An angry man bit his partner, forced her to lie face down in his blood and threatened to drown her during a terrifying attack which put her in fear of her life. Kyle Hutchison stopped ex-partner Laura Stanley from leaving her home after a row, taking her mobile phone. In her desperation to get away, she threw a heavy chair at him, cutting his head and lip open. The 24-year-old of Gregory's Bank, Worcester, now bleeding from his face, attacked her, videoing her ordeal on his mobile phone while claiming he was performing a citizen's arrest. He admitted assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, and was sentenced at Worcester Crown Court yesterday following the attack on December the 28th last year, described as terrifying by Judge Robert Jukes, QC. Alexander West, prosecuting, said the couple had been in a relationship for around eight months and had been out for a meal when they had an argument. Miss Stanley had returned home, and the defendant then arrived, screaming at her and calling her a liar, picking up her mobile phone and throwing it across the room before putting it in his pocket. He also tried to take a puppy he'd bought for her and stopped Miss Stanley from leaving the house. Mr West said, 
In an attempt to free herself, she threw a heavy seat which hit him in the face, causing a cut to his forehead and his lip. At this stage, the defendant became enraged, picked up the chair and threw it at Miss Stanley. He grabbed her and threw her against the staircase, holding her by the throat. He then pinned her to the ground so that she was lying on her front on the floor with him sat on her back. (coughs) The harrowing footage of the mobile video was played to the court. The victim's face can be seen covered in blood as she sobs and screams. Hutchison is heard to say, You're going to sit in my blood and realise what you've done wrong. Look at the blood. Miss Stanley managed to free herself, but the defendant pursued her, dragging her back inside the house. He tried to put her head in a mop bucket filled with water, which tipped over in the process, preventing him from doing so, said Mr West. Miss Stanley described Hutchison's behaviour as psychotic and said he was laughing and spitting blood. Mr West added... He said, let's run a bath as I'm going to kill you. The victim told Hutchison, calm down, this isn't you. The defendant began to cry and he allowed Miss Stanley to clean his mouth and returned her mobile phone. She ran to the bathroom and dialed 999, but Hutchison left before police arrived. Mr West said, when they arrived, they observed Miss Stanley with a lump on the back of her head. She suspected she was knocked out at one point, as the defendant threw her on the floor and against the wall several times. Miss Stanley described being scared for her life. She thought the defendant was going to kill her. Hutchison was a previous good character. His mother supported him from the public gallery. Sabia Pathan, defending, said Hutchison suffered a chipped tooth and was rushed to hospital from custody before he was formally interviewed by police. Miss Pathan said... He's deeply regretful of the incident. He says, when you're in it, you don't see it until you step back. She described him as a hard-working installation engineer who worked 11 to 12 hours a day, Monday to Friday, with ambitions to become a surveyor. This has been a rude wake-up call for Mr Hutchison. He did not know he had it in himself to react in that manner, Miss Payton told the court. The Judge Robert Jukes, QC, said Hutchison had been trying to humiliate Miss Stanley. He added, you must appreciate it was terrifying. There is, in the film I have seen, a strong element of hysteria in your behaviour. The judge sentenced him to 12 months in prison, suspended for 18 months, and ordered him to pay £1,000 compensation to Miss Stanley and £1,000 costs. Hutchison was also placed on a community order for 18 months, which will include 20 rehabilitation activity days and 100 hours unpaid work. A restraining order was made for a period of five years to prevent Hutchison contacting Miss Stanley. Saturday's headline is Shock Over Attack on OAP, Pensioner Targeted at Home. A community has been left in shock after a pensioner suffered life-threatening injuries in a brutal burglary at his home. Two men wearing balaclavas forced their way inside the victim's Ombersley home and searched the property before carrying out the unprovoked assault. The victim, who is in his 70s, suffered serious injuries in the unprovoked attack which happened on Wednesday and was still in hospital yesterday. Neighbours in Oldfield Lane described the attack as awful, shocking and a crime that they would not expect in their street, which they said is usually quiet and only used by the residents. 
Detective Inspector Chris Percival said, I would like to reassure the community that we take all reports of this nature extremely seriously and a thorough investigation has begun. The victim suffered substantial injuries as a result of the assault and we are keen for anyone with information to get in touch. We'd also like to speak to anyone who was in the area between 10.15pm and 10.45pm as they may be able to help us. Any details, no matter how small they may seem, could be significant to our ongoing investigation. Neighbours said that marked and unmarked police cars had been in Oldfield Lane off the A449 since the attack. Officers have also been seen putting leaflets through doors asking for witnesses to suspicious activity in the area in the time leading up to the attack. Yesterday, police had still cordoned off the narrow lane leading up to the man's home and were not allowing anyone to pass through the property. Anyone with information is asked to call police on 101 or Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111, quoting 889S. And this is the headline, Punch Victim Fights for Life, Left with a Fractured Skull. A 20-year-old man has been seriously injured after he got into an argument with his boyfriend in Worcester, according to a witness. The resident said that the injured man was bleeding from his ears after he was punched in the face by his partner in Lowesmore, Worcester, on Saturday night. The injured man is currently in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. Police have arrested two males aged 37 and 17 in connection with the incident. The victim's mother, Tina Holmes, posted on Facebook that her son, Jake Holmes, is suffering from a fractured skull and bleeding to his brain. Eyewitness Angelica Chorus, aged 24, of Lowesmore, Worcester, said, There was a gay couple. They had an argument. I saw it from the window. He punched him and he fell down. He hit his head on the curb and after that he took him by his hands and started to pull him and then he pushed him down again. That was really bad. I was like, poor person. From his ears blood was coming out and he wasn't breathing for a few minutes. The Polish warehouse worker said that the assailant tried to hit her friend when she came outside. She added, I called the police and the ambulance and the police came first and we were waiting like 40 minutes for the ambulance. When I went down, he, the assailant, said, don't let him die, I love him, he's my boyfriend. This guy was crying. Miss Chorus said that the incident unfolded at about 9pm and the officers arrested the man at the scene. She added, I can't stop thinking about it. Police were standing here all night till 8 a.m. this morning. I will move out of here next week. I've lived here for two months and it's too much. Her friend went to the police station yesterday morning and was told that the injured man was in a bad condition. The victim's mum, Tina Holmes from Worcester, wrote on Facebook, I'm absolutely heartbroken to have to tell you all that my boy Jake was attacked last night in town. He's now in intensive care in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital with a fractured skull and bleeding to his brain and a cochlear implant. He's critical, but getting the best care. The only reason I'm putting this on here is because police are asking for witnesses. So please, if you hear anything, please let them know. And I'm begging you all to pray for my boy. Thank you. 
DI Chris Watson of West Mercia Police said a 20-year-old male has been injured. He sustained an injury and is being treated for a serious medical condition in hospital. However, he, re- he remains stable at this time. Several people have been arrested and the police are continuing with inquiries. We are not looking for anyone else in connection with the incident. We don't believe that weapons were used. Anyone with information about the incident can call police on 101, quoting incident number 777S of August the 18th. And the headline for Tuesday, August the 21st, Girl Hit by Bus. A teenage girl was in hospital with serious injuries last night after being hit by a bus. The 14-year-old, named by friends as Lily Alves, was hit by a bus in Deansway in Worcester, near the heart of Worcestershire College, at around 2.35pm on Monday, August the 20th. Following the crash, the Nunrywood High School pupil was taken from Deansway in a land ambulance to Worcester Racecourse, where she was airlifted to Bristol Children's Hospital. A close friend told the Worcester News that Lily's family and friends are devastated and that she is currently being stabilised in hospital. Deansway remained closed between All Saints Road and City Walls Road for several hours following the, following the collision. Motorists experienced delays and were advised to find alternative routes. West Midlands Ambulance Service sent an ambulance and a paramedic officer to the scene and they were joined by two Midlands air ambulances, one with a merit trauma doctor on board and the other staffed by critical care paramedics, which landed at Worcester Racecourse. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman said, Crews arrived to find a pedestrian, a 14-year-old girl, who was unconscious after being involved in a road traffic collision with a bus. Ambulance staff worked quickly to assess the girl and found she had sustained serious injuries. Whilst administering initial treatment, crews swiftly transferred the girl by land ambulance on blue lights to meet up with the awaiting air ambulance teams at the racecourse. The girl received further advanced trauma care from the doctor and critical care paramedics who stabilised her condition before she was airlifted to Bristol Children's Hospital for further emergency treatment. Police launched an appeal for information following the crash. Anyone with information about the incident is urged to call police on 101, quoting incident number 425 of August the 20th, or contact Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 111. The next headline is Teens Rush to John's Rescue. A pensioner has thanked a group of teenagers who came to his aid after he suffered a medical emergency in Worcester City Centre. The teens, believed to be 17 or 18, rushed to give first aid to John Roberts, aged 77, after he began to bleed profusely from his arm while shopping near Argos in the Shambles. Mr Roberts of Guildford Close, Ronxwood, has polycystic kidney disease and the bleeding was linked to his condition. The pensioner, who attends dialysis appointments three times a week, said, I'm just so grateful to the girls for helping me. 
Carol, his wife of 52 years, said she'd gone to buy groceries from a nearby shop when she saw crowds of young people at the top of the street. She said, I had left John with the shopping bags and I'd stopped to talk to the young chap I often see who's homeless and I had given him some raspberries. I then saw all these people helping John. There was a girl with a first aid kit. She was only about 17 or 18. She was cleaning up the blood with a medical wipe. They were so caring and helpful, it was as if they were nurses. There were about 14 students. I asked if she had any training, but she didn't say she did. She said she always carries a first aid kit. I want to thank them and say how we appreciate what they've done. I was always saying how young people don't care about the elderly and have no respect. But then you look at it the other way. So I want to say thank you very much. It could have been ten times worse. He didn't have any bandages with him and the blood would have kept on running down his arm. We would have had to call an ambulance to take him to Worcestershire Royal. The group told Mrs Roberts they were taking part in the National Citizen Service at Worcester College. The bleed comes three weeks after Mr Roberts had an operation at Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham to reduce the size of a mass on his arm caused by his kidney fistula, a connection from a vein in his arm to his main heart artery to aid his dialysis. Due to his condition, Mr Roberts, who worked at Heenan Coolers in Worcester for 30 years, is unable to take holidays and has to undergo regular dialysis at Worcester Dialysis Unit in Mackenzie Way off Tolladyne Road. Mr Roberts had been looking for a birthday card for his wife at the time of the bleed. Do you know any of the teens involved? Please contact Liz Sharp by calling 01905 742 253 or emailing esh at uk. Today's newspaper leads with, I'm going to clinic to die. After years of pain and suffering, a Worcester man says he plans to travel abroad to legally end his own life. Anthony Hayes, 59, who has borderline personality disorder, BPD, will go to a clinic in Switzerland for assisted suicide, but he believes that euthanasia should be made legal in the UK. Mr Hayes, who says he was abused as a child, has told his family and friends that he wants to commit suicide. He has approached the Swiss group Dignitas, which provides assistance or accompanied suicide, and is going through the process before finding out whether they will accept him for euthanasia at their clinic. Mr Hayes told the Worcester News, Euthanasia definitely should be made legal. We are far too politically correct and not liberal enough. You have to go to a clinic in Switzerland. They give you a tablet which makes you go to sleep and you don't wake up. I am sometimes in unbearable and uncontrollable pain. He added, I feel so passionate about this and I am being penalised. I am having to go down this route because for me to hang myself or throw myself in front of a train, which I have thought about, would be more trauma for my family. Mr Hayes said his BPD stems from being abused as a child and described his childhood as filled with pressures most people don't have to deal with. My father was mentally ill, he added. I had no brothers or sisters or grandparents. I had to look after my mother and father with no support. A lot of people are abused when growing up. It can be quite emotional abuse. It is quite common. In my job, I speak to a lot of people who have been abused. 
Mr Hayes, who lives in Barbourne, has worked for an opinion poll company, but is not currently working due to his health. The NHS defines BPD as a disorder of mood and how a person interacts with others. Mr Hayes says he has long periods of depression and experiences severe pain. I have never been happy, which is common with BPD, he said. I don't know the concept of happiness. He added, Unfortunately, there is still a stigma. For me to try and form a relationship with a lady is difficult. It can scare them off. Mr Hayes said he also finds it hard to form relationships due to to detachment disorder relating to his condition. He says that he has received cognitive behavioural therapy and has been through prescribed medication throughout his life, but nothing has helped him. Alistair Thompson from the group Care Not Killing, which campaigns against assisted dying and euthanasia, said making it legal in the UK would be dangerous. He said, we strongly oppose changing the law because there is a danger of a right to die becoming a duty to die. In the states of Washington and Oregon, more than half of those choosing to end their life are doing so because they feel they are a financial burden or a care burden on their families. People with degenerative or terminal illnesses could feel pressured into ending their lives. In Belgium and Holland, there have been massive extensions to include people with dementia, psychiatric conditions and mentally incompetent children. We aim to protect vulnerable people against that pressure. Currently, euthanasia is only legal in the Netherlands, Belgium and Luxembourg. Assisted dying is where a terminally ill person has help from a doctor to end their life. That is, they provide a prescription for the medication and the individual drinks it or presses the syringe. Assisted suicide is where someone who is not dying but might be chronically ill or suffering in some other way receives help to end their own life. It is legal in Switzerland and Canada. Uh, We'll move on now to general news stories and Jane if you'd like to kick us off that'd be brilliant. Well this is from Wednesday August the 22nd which is yesterday. Exhibition brings war legacy to city. A major exhibition to commemorate the centenary of the First World War opens in Worcester's Cathedral Square later this month. Fields of Battle, Lands of Peace, 14 to 18 displays the work of international award-winning photojournalist Michael St. Maur Shale. The exhibition will be in Cathedral Square from Saturday, August 25th to the end of September as part of the city's history month. Captured over a period of eight years, Michael St. Maur Shale's photography depicts First World War battlefields around the world as they are today. Mr Shields said, this collection represents a legacy which I hope will create a gateway to the battlefields themselves, thus encouraging people to visit these historic landscapes and to create awareness and understanding of the events and historical implications of the First World War. The Lord Lieutenant of Worcestershire, Lieutenant Colonel Patrick Holcroft, will officially open the exhibition at 1055 on Saturday, September the 1st. Mr Scheel will also be present at the launch and will give a brief introduction to the exhibition. At 11am, bells from Worcester Cathedral will ring out to mark the opening. Ian Gregson, manager for Worcestershire World War 100 programme, says, 
I am thrilled that working with our partners, we can showcase the full fields of battle, lands of peace exhibition for the Worcester people of Worcester. This outdoor display will enable people to see from themselves how time and nature have changed the battlefields of the First World War. We hope as many people as possible will come out to see these stunning and poignant images. Uh, the strapline for this article is Our City Isn't Deaf Friendly. People with hearing difficulties are being let down by Worcester businesses, according to a city charity. Deaf Direct, based in Lowesmore, Worcester, says the city is not deaf friendly and called for investments in hearing loop. Sorry, called for investment in hearing loops. I think I've got the S on the wrong word there. The devices help those with hearing aids to hear better. However, only 13% of city venues have them. Worcester Business Improvement District, BID, said it was open to working with Deaf Direct to address the matter. Hannah Cooper, training coordinator for Deaf Direct, said, People's experiences at the moment are woeful. I think the misconception is that if a place is wheelchair-friendly, it's deaf-friendly. But that's not the case. The City Council could help by helping to fund hearing loops. She added that a deaf client recently struggled to return a pair of trainers because staff at the shop couldn't understand what they were saying. Mrs Cooper said, Businesses are responsible for thinking about their deaf customers. We know people will come back time and time again if they know a place is deaf-friendly. The hearing loop transforms people's experiences. It amplifies everything so people have much greater clarity. They can hear easier in a room. She added that the city also suffers from a lack of staff trained in British Sign Language. Mrs Cooper argued that making people with hearing difficulties feel more welcome in Worcester would also provide a tourism boost. She said people were willing to travel to deaf-friendly venues and that someone from Banbury recently made the trip to Deaf Direct's centre in Lowesmore to take part in a playgroup for mothers and toddlers. A spokesman for Worcester BID said... We were not aware of any problems within the city, but we would be happy to support Deaf Direct to engage with our businesses on the matter, should that be of interest. And here's a story um, about running and the giraffes, which have been around this summer all over Worcester. The title of the article is Perfect Way for Getting a Run In. Happy feet fitness runners and walkers have completed the Worcester Stands tall safari walk for St Richard's Hospice. Worcester-based Happy Feet Fitness is a running group that was formed in 2015 when the founder, Mari Tyrrell, got the, the all clear from breast cancer. Mrs Tyrrell, who's 56, decided to leave work and spend more time doing the things she felt passionate about, spending time with family and friends, helping others and keeping fit. Mrs Tyrrell and her 31-year-old daughter, Rhiannon Elling, who is a qualified fitness instructor, combined their enthusiasm for running and created the running group. We know just how difficult it can be to make those first steps towards becoming more active. Our style is fun and informal so that everyone feels comfortable, Mrs Tyrrell said. Since the giraffe sculptures have arrived in Worcester on July the 9th, Happy Feet Fitness have enjoyed spotting them around the city during their walks and runs. 
The group organised a fundraising safari on August the 12th, which 38 people attended. The aim was to find all the giraffes over the six-mile course. They plotted out a 10-kilometre route with a meeting point for the 5-kilometre runners and a 2.5-kilometre route for the walkers. Mrs Tyrrell, who successfully ran all the way round the course, added, it was a perfect way of getting a run in. We stopped at every big giraffe for a photo and read about who'd designed them. We even took the high road to see the plinth of Diversity as Us, the giraffe at Fort Royal Park. Our runners blasted up the hill and may have had a moan or two on the way up, but it was, it was worth it to show our support. We loved being active, from walking to running, and we also enjoy a chat and a treat too. Once we'd finished the event, all 38 of us stopped for tea and cake. We all enjoyed our safari and raised just over £200 for the brilliant cause. Fantastic. We don't get many aircraft stories, but here's one. Last plane will return, proclaimed Monday's newspaper. Part of the last aircraft to fly out of the old RAF Defford airfield will be returning to the county later this month. The restored forward fuselage, nose and cockpit of the Gloucester Meteor Night Fighter is due to arrive at Croom Court on Tuesday, August 28th. It will be on show at the RAF Defford Museum until the end of October. Dr Bob Shaw of the Defford Airfield Heritage Group said the prospect of the return to RAF Defford by the last plane to fly out of the airfield is very exciting. This year we will be showing the forward fuselage cockpit nose of Meteor WD-686, which has been fully restored. Next year we hope to have restored and on show the whole aircraft. That really will be an event to remember. During the Second World War and the Cold War, RAF Defford was one of the most secret places in the country. Airborne radar devices developed by scientists at Malvern and tested at Defford helped to win the Second World War. And in the Cold War, Britain and its NATO allies needed radar to stay ahead of Soviet submarines and the threat of nuclear attack from the air. But in 1957, RAF Defford had to close, as it was not really big enough to take the new V-bombers coming into service. The very last aircraft to leave RAF Defford before its closure was a Meteor NF-11 night fighter, which flew out in April 1958. The volunteers of the Defford Airfield Heritage Group resolved to rescue it, but lacked the space at Croom to restore it. Thanks to sponsorship from Vernon Hill, chairman of Metro Bank, it was restored at Boscombe Down in Wiltshire. The Boscombe Down Aviation Collection now owns the aircraft, but as part of the funding deal, will loan it to the Defford Museum. And this is a piece about building works. 61 Homes by Hospital. Plans for 61 new homes on Greenfield land, a stone's throw away from Worcestershire's Royal Hospital, are set to be approved next week. The Elan Homes development sits on land off Newtown Road between Ronxwood Hill Meadows, local nature reserve, and Aikenbury Orchard, and behind houses in Aikenbury Close and Chesterton Gardens. Of the 61 homes, 24 will be designated as affordable housing, the obligatory 40% target for the City Council. Council concerns have been raised by a number of neighbours during the consultation process, including the further risk of flooding to homes and gardens, the problem of more cars on Newtown Road, and the use of the estate as a car park for patients and staff at the Worcestershire's Royal Hospital. 
In the online objection to city councillors' planners during consultation, Noel Neath of Chesterton Gardens said his property regularly floods during storms and on two occasions since 2005 his kitchen has flooded. He said during such occasions of rainfall it's noticeable that a river of water comes from the southwest corner of the proposed site into both my neighbour's and my own back garden and subsequently passes across to my neighbour's. With the proposed building and the loss of further permeable land to soak up such surface water, I'm concerned that the situation will only get worse. Linda Ruane of Aikenbury Close also feared the flooding in her garden would become worse. She said it's obvious to us that there is already insufficient drainage away off the land, so that the addition of hard standing areas can only exacerbate this situation. This needs serious consideration and additional drainage installed. In the light of objections concerning access to the development and the increased number of cars and congestion on Newtown Road and near the hospital, the Highways Department of Worcestershire County Council raised no objections. The 5.48 hectare site overlaps land south of Leopard Hill, earmarked for 100 homes as part of the South Worcestershire's development plan. A new road would have to be created to give access to the homes, as the only current access to the site is through a single lane track off Newtown Road, which runs only for a few hundred yards. And here's an article about Diglis in Worcester. A campaign to give the historic area of Diglis more recognition has been gathering momentum. Will Richards has launched a bid to get a plaque or heritage board up at the Diglis Basin site, which has had a major transformation over the years. Diglis Basin is famously where the Worcester and Birmingham Canal meets the River Severn. The area was once an inland port with huge barges bringing commercial goods up from Bristol to unload at Diglis Docks using the River Severn. Mr Richards said, Diglis represented Worcester's most important commercial hub before the railways and therefore precious reminders of its historical significance should not simply be allowed to disappear with no acknowledgement or reminder to current and future generations. I'm unaware of any information about Diglis Basin's past actually on the site. Mr Richards said he has had initial talks with the Canal and Rivers Trust, the organisation tasked with protecting waterways, and there was good news, as they had showed some support, including possible funding. Worcester Civic Society oversees the Blue Plaque Scheme in Worcester with the support of English Heritage. Its chairman, Phil Dooch, welcomed the idea. I'd be happy to meet with Mr Richards and hear his ideas, as we always welcome new ideas for plaques. We're also looking at a heritage trail for cyclists and walkers, with heritage boards around the city, so this could be part of that. For more on Worcester Civic Society, including how residents can suggest ideas for plaques and heritage boards, visit worcestercivicsociety.org.uk or email info at worcestercivicsociety.org.uk. 
Thanks, Pippa. And here's a story um, which is about a plaque which honours some city gun makers. A blue heritage plaque has, has been unveiled to commemorate a Worcester master gunmaker and his sons. The plaque was unveiled at 6 Meal Chippen Street yesterday in memory of John Perrins, master gunmaker of Worcester, and his sons John and Henry Perrins. The project by Worcester Civic Society was commissioned by the John Perrins Gun Owners Club of Worcestershire to celebrate the heritage John Perrins and Son Master Gunmakers of Worcester. The dedication was made by the Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Jabba Riaz, at 4pm. The building is now Dominic Tunnel Opticians, Mr Tunnel giving permission for the plaque to be installed. John Perrins was a distant cousin of William Henry Perrins of Leon Perrins source fame. John Perrins with his sons were prestigious provincial gun makers, applying highly skilled precision engineering to gun and pistol making. They created a successful renowned business in Worcester between 1831 and 1892. John Perrins was born in Kidderminster in 1796 and at the age of 12 followed his brother Thomas into the gun trade to serve a seven-year apprenticeship. By 1859, John Perrins and son had moved to 6 Mealchip and Street, Worcester, where the plaque was unveiled. By 1820, which is when he would have been 14, John Perrins was working as a gunsmith in Faversham, Kent, because in November that year, at the age of 24, so I beg your pardon, he was 24, not 14, he married Hannah Wellstead in Hastings. Uh, they had a son, John, born in 1823, and a son, Edward, born in 1829. Vaughan Wiltshire from the Gun Club said, by 1831... John Perrins was established in College Street, Worcester, and Bentley's directory of that year lists him as gunsmith. By 1840, Bentley's directory was describing him as gunmaker, designing and building guns and pistols in his own name. One of the early examples of his work that survives is a turnover pocket pistol carried by both ladies and gentlemen for close-quarter defence. John and his wife went on to have more children. They had a son, Henry, in 1832, a son, James, in 1834, and twins, William and Margaret, in 1836. Right. Mum and two daughters lose 15 stone. A mum and her two daughters have lost 15 stone between them. Mum and daughter Sheila and Nicola Haggerty of Worcester joined the Slimming World Masonic Hall and Rainbow Hill groups in 2017. Nicola said, In January 2017, Mum and I decided to try and lose weight. We were eating all the wrong foods, putting on more weight, and we could see we were both getting bigger. We managed to lose one stone ourselves, but it was proving difficult to stay focused. It was then, in April 2017, that a friend recommended Slimming World, and so our journey began. We have learnt so much about food optimising, and we have taken back control of our bodies and the way we eat. Sheila and Nicola were doing so well that youngest daughter Julie decided to get involved, and they have weekly get-togethers where they each cook something new. To date, Sheila has lost six stone, Nicola five, and Julie four stone and seven pounds, a combined 15 stone seven pounds. 
Nicola said, anyone wanting to lose weight will always get a warm welcome from me and the members of my Our Lady St. John's or Masonic Hall Slimming World group. For more information, call Jade Howell of Slimming World on 07866 962114 or visit slimming-world.co.uk. And this is a small piece on teaching life skills. Parents want to see school subjects such as religious studies, physical education and geography replaced with lessons on life skills. They want their children to learn how to deal with their finances, lead a healthy lifestyle and manage their mental health, a study found. MyVoucherCodes.co.uk surveyed 2,414 British parents with at least one child in secondary school. They were asked what their subjects they felt their children wouldn't need in life, with religious studies, 31%, physical education, 30%, and geography, 28%, the most common responses. All parents were asked what skills they would like to see in the curriculum that their children would most benefit from, and dealing with finances, leading a healthy lifestyle and managing mental health were most popular. When parents were asked why they felt these subjects were more important, most cited they provide life skills they will go on to use, 48% of them, as the reason. So continuing with the festival theme for Worcester, uh, it's an open weekend for the county's artists this coming bank holiday. And the article goes, local artists are getting ready to reveal their creative habitats during the August bank holiday weekend. Artists across the district are busy preparing to welcome visitors into their studio homes, studios, homes and shared spaces from August the 25th to August the 27th for the Worcestershire Open Studios event. A spokesman said, Now in its fourth year, the popular three-day event gives visitors a unique opportunity to delve into unseen creative spaces and talk directly to artists about their inspiration and creative processes. A diverse collection of arts and crafts will be available to see and buy in a range of different media, including printmaking, painting, textiles, photography, ceramics, jewellery and mixed media. Artist and Worcestershire Open Studios co-organiser Sally Ann Morgan said, Discovering some of Worcestershire's fantastic artistic talent is the perfect way to spend a bank holiday weekend. Entry to all venues is free, and some are also offering refreshments and demonstrations. Whether you're an art lover, a family looking for a trip out, a budding artist, or just fancy a day exploring our wonderful county, you'll definitely receive a warm welcome. Participants are located at 81 locations across the county, stretching from Bewdley to Colwell and Badsey to Bromsgrove. And there are 33 venues in the Malvern Hills district alone, extending from Lower Broadheath and Lysinton to Colwell and Upton Seven and Malvern itself. Sally said the event provides the perfect opportunity for visitors to interact with artists and makers, such as expressive oil painter Anna Cumming, who creates stunning paintings inspired by moody skies, turbulent seas, 
interesting reflections and the play of light. Further details at Worcestershire Open Studios, that's all one word, dot org dot uk. Right, okay. So here's an article about temperatures and uh, the possibility that this summer has been a record summer. Summer 2018 has a chance of ending up the warmest on record for the UK, with the race for the top spot wide open, according to the Met Office. The mean temperature for this summer so far is 16.1 centigrade, exactly the same as it was at this point during the record-holding summer of 2006. Whether 2018 beats the record could come down to a matter of tenths or even hundreds of difference in Celsius. The final figure for summer 2006 was 15.78, a fraction above the two years in second place, 2003 and 1976, which tied on 15.77. But even if 2018 misses out on topping the chart, the Met Office believes it is still likely to finish in the warmest top five. This summer's Average maximum temperature could also end up a record breaker. At present, the figure stands at 21.1, ahead of the equivalent figure in 1976, 20.7, which is the year that holds this particular record. The Met Office said it remains to be seen whether the rest of August 2018 will be cool or warm, meaning it's impossible to say which year will end up as the record. Dr Mark McCarthy, head of the Met Office National Climate Information Centre, said looking at maximum temperatures might seem to chime more with our perceptions as our memories tend to focus on those hot days when the temperatures really peaked rather than the mild nights. However, by including night and daytime temperatures, the mean temperature temperature measure gives a fuller picture of what the UK climate is doing. Right, this one is headed Messy Event Raises Cash for Hospice. Hundreds of participants enjoyed a day of bubbles, foam and gunge earlier this month. The 80s Messy Madness event, organised by St Richard's Hospice, took place at Churchfield's Farmhouse Ice Cream in Solwarp, near Droitwich. It is set to raise more than £15,000 for the charity. The 350 participants dressed up in their brightest and boldest 80s outfits to walk, skip, dance or run around a five-kilometre course. A DJ provided classic 80s entertainment alongside family activities, including a discounted price for the maze maze. Kelly Johns, fundraiser, said, We would like to thank all those who took part in our 80s Messy Madness event. It really was a fabulous day. Raising funds for the hospice is so important as it allows us to continue our care into the future and it was great to see everyone having fun too. On finishing the run, all participants received a medal and a tub of homemade Churchfields ice cream. Peter Reeves, general manager from event sponsor Majestic Bingo Worcester, said Majestic Bingo is extremely proud to have been the main sponsor for the Messy Madness early in this month. Not only is it a charity close to my heart, it is also important to many of our customers. It was an absolute pleasure to have supported this event for the first time. We had a majestic bingo team of five who ran the course, and not one of us came back unscathed. We were all covered from head to toe in gunge, paint, foam and foam. Foam and foam. Messy indeed, but enjoyed by all. 
The whole hospice team and the runners were truly amazing in making us feel welcome, and it was great to get out and meet new people and invite them to our friendly bingo club that offers a fun afternoon or evening out and pays big cash prizes every session. Majestic Bingo will be hosting two charity nights in aid of the hospice. The first is on Sunday, September the 2nd, when two members of staff will be grunged live on stage. The second is a charity bike ride on Friday, September the 7th. St. Richard's Hospice provides free specialist palliative and end-of-life care for patients living with life-limiting illnesses and supports their loved ones. Each year, the hospice team supports more than 3,300 patients, family members and bereaved people in Worcestershire. St. Richard's has launched the Build 2020 appeal, which aims to raise the final £1.4 million needed to build a bigger hospice, enabling more patients and families to be cared for in Worcestershire. Find out more at St. Richard's, that's strichards, all one word, .org.uk. And now back to giraffes. There's a lovely picture on the front of this um, Worcester News of a, a brightly coloured giraffe with orange legs and black hooves with um, a mosaic body, which is multicoloured, and a green-yellow head. I just thought you might like to know what one of them looked like. And it stands tall, but it's been restored to its prominent spot after it was vandalised and had to be renewed for, removed for repair. So... In Fort Royal Park, it's been missing the sculpture, Diversity in Us, since August 3rd, after it was vandalised. Amrit Singh, who decorated the giraffe, was distraught when he discovered that someone had damaged his artwork, which is part of the Worcester Sands Tall Trail. Mr Singh commented, I cannot comprehend why anybody would want to do such a thing in the first place. It's even worse than the fact that it's for a good cause. It's horrible knowing that someone would go out of their way to destroy something that I've worked endless hours on. Every time you create something, especially as an artist, your heart and soul go into it. Mr Singh, originally from Birmingham, said Worcester lacks an art scene. This project is something that has brought colour to the city, he said. It's also attracted tourism. People have travelled from other cities to visit, which is great for Worcester and for raising awareness for St Richard's Hospice which does amazing things. The Worcester Stands Tall is a trail of giraffe sculptures throughout the city which will be auctioned off for St Richard's Hospice. Mr Singh was over the moon when his work was put back on the plinth yesterday. He said it's been beautiful to see all the families who are enjoying the trail around the city. However, this incident has deprived them of this one sculpture for a week or so, but let's hope it doesn't happen again. He is an art... Uh, sorry, an award-winning creative director and artist, and added, a lot of my artwork is inspired by diversity, and I feel I'm an advocate for diversity. The giraffe I created was inspired by a personal journey, mainly breaking out of my comfort zone. It's all about the monochromatic shell that many of us have while living our day-to-day -day life. When we embrace our true authentic self, we're able to show how vibrant and unique Every individual is, and that giraffe certainly is. Looks beautiful, doesn't it? So, councillor praises new cycle safety initiative. A councillor has praised a new government scheme to promote bicycle awareness for driving instructors, but wants to see more funds spent on cycle paths. 
The Government Department for Transport has unveiled plans to spend half a million training driving instructors to incorporate cycling safety into lessons for learners. It follows a clampdown on motorists driving too close to cyclists, with some police forces already imposing £100 fines and three penalty points for drivers caught passing less than 1.5 metres from bikes. Councillor Louis Stephen, chair of Worcester Green Party, said, Encouraging cycling is one of the tools in the box to help us reduce city centre congestion and to tackle obesity in the country. Councillor Stephen, who represents Battenhall Ward on the City Council, added, Many people are worried about cars, buses and trucks passing too close when passing, so this initiative is welcome. However, he said, to really promote cycling, investment is needed far more in properly segregated cycle paths. Referring to figures from the Centre for Economics and Business Research, realised in October 2014, he said the annual cost of congestion to our economy is over £12 billion. Yet the amount we spend on cycling is tiny compared to the money we spend on roads, he added. A Cycling UK commissioned poll showed that 56% of UK adults were put off cycling by the threat of close passes. Councillor Ken Pollock, Cabinet Member for Economy and Infrastructure at the County Council, said Alternative ways of getting around the county are becoming increasingly important in our challenge to reduce congestion. We welcome these plans to incorporate more cycle safety. We will soon be sharing our plans for a 3.2 million investment into cycle and walkways in Worcester between Sidbury, the bottom of London Road and St John's. And here's a very short story um, which is entitled Pub Mystery. Mystery surrounds why a pub has been closed since Thursday last week. The Vine Bar and Grill in Ombersley Road, Worcester, didn't open as usual on Thursday and has been closed all weekend, customers have reported. Business owners in the area told the Worcester News they don't know why the pub has been closed. A sign advertising for bar staff to work on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays is displayed on the door of the pub. In 2016, Tim Sandhu reopened the pub after spending £300,000 on a transformation that saw the old function room turned into a curry house. A dispute between Mr Sandhu and Worcester City Council caused complications after Worcestershire Highways demanded that the footpath outside the premises be improved before the restaurant part of the business could be opened. Right. Mum's card swallowed, this story is headed. A cash machine, which has allegedly had a spy camera fitted to capture customers' PIN numbers, has also swallowed a woman's card for no reason, she claims. The ATM at Blackpool, Blackpool rather, BP Garage is being investigated by operator Cash Zone after a man posted a video on Facebook insisting a spy camera had been fitted in an empty bolt hole. Beverly Shaw, of Warnden Villages, said her card was taken by the machine on Friday afternoon and she was forced to ring her bank to cancel it. My son went to use the card machine and the card was taken, said the 56-year-old. After he put the card in the machine, it switched off and then it came on again. Mrs. Son, Mrs. Shaw's son, Jordan, 22, was awaiting a new card of his own and she had allowed him to go and draw money out when the incident happened at about 1pm. 
She was at a funeral when he rang to say the card had been swallowed and she then called Halifax to cancel it. The garage manager, who did not wish to be named, reiterated that the cash point does not belong to the petrol station and is not his responsibility, but instead that of operator cash zone. However, he said, there is no camera there, referring to the video's claims. In 2006, a total of a quarter of a million pounds was stolen from the bank accounts of 167 people who used the cash machines or paid in-store at the BP garage in Blackpool Road, its sister site in Castle Street and Malthurst garage in Droitwich Road, Worcester. Joe Curtis was a victim of that scam 12 years ago, having money taken after using the garage on Castle Street where a spy camera had been fitted above the till. The 49-year-old from Worcester said, I haven't used BP since and won't ever again. Referring to the alleged spy camera at the Blackpool garage, she said the cash point operators need to be a bit more proactive. Mrs Curtis, an events organiser and former holiday business owner, said she wasn't aware of the theft in 2006 until her bank called her. She said she was told the fraudsters bought airline tickets with her money. Cash Zone did not provide a comment before we went to print. And this is another Millennial Flats plan for the city. The plan for 38 Millennial Flats as part of a two-storey extension to a Grade 2 listed city centre building could be approved next week. Citation House in Fourgate Street could soon be housing a mix of apartments if extension and conversion plans are given the thumbs up by the City Council Planning Committee but Historic England and the Council's own conservation officers have objected to it. The contentious issue for the conservationists is Student Lofts Limited plan to build a further two storeys on top of an existing extension to the Georgian building, an addition which no doubt impact the view from both Forgate Street at the front and Farrier Street at the rear. Historic England, the City Council's Conservation Department and Student Soft Limited met to discuss ways in which the extension could be softened to make it less prominent. Historic England feels that the existing three-storey extension is detrimental to the character and appearance of the conservation area it sits in and a further two storeys would only intensify and be further harmful to the area. The planning is to build eight flats in the main listed building across two floors and a further 30 flats across a newly extended citation house. A cycle parking area and a landscaped courtyard will also be built. A report to be discussed by the City Council's (coughs) Planning Committee on Thursday says Historic England do not consider that the amended plans have addressed their in-principle concerns and consider the proposal fails to meet the requirements of the National Planning Policy Framework in failing to better enhance or reveal the significance of heritage assets. Historic England considered that the height, scale and massing of the extension offers no reference to the conservation area setting and, as such, there's an objection to the proposal. The City Council's conservation officer said that an upwards extension would be overly dominant and the plans would furthermore exasperate an already out-of-character building. Nevertheless, City Council 
Conservation officers welcomed the redevelopment of the extension at its current height because the building is of no historical significance and is seen as having a negative impact on the character and appearance of the conservation area. Students hope for top prize. And this is students in the plural. From head shaves to dodgeball tournaments, students from the University of Worcester have raised nearly £18,000 in a year for good causes, leading to a shortlisting for a National Student Award. Worcester Students Union Raise and Give, otherwise known as RAG, has reached the final four in the most improved student fundraising group category of the National Student Fundraising Awards, run by the National Student Fundraising Association. Harry Lonsdale, chair of RAG, 21, who's just finished his sport business management degree, said, I can't tell you how amazing this is. When I heard the news, it was great to see that all the hours, hard work and energy that has gone into RAG has paid off. I feel enormously proud of everyone that has fundraised, whether that be big or small amounts, in groups or individually. Money raised through RAG has dramatically increased in recent years, rising from £3,602 in 2015-16 to £8,553 last year and then an impressive £17,993 this year with the support of working with the Students' Union, University and Charities. 41 student groups or individuals contributed to the total and money was raised for 33 different charities. These included RAG's Chosen Charity of the Year, the Alzheimer's Society, Cancer Research UK, Macmillan Cancer Support, Children in Need and Smile for Joel, a charity set up by former student Joel Richards' family after he was tragically murdered in the Tunisia terror attack in 2015. Midwifery kicked off the year hosting a quiz night to raise money for the bereavement suite at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The biggest event of the year was the Student Race Day in May, a day out at the Worcester race course with 267 students attending, more than double the number of students the previous year. Other fundraising activities have included Zumbathons, a carnival party, a film night, football tournament, wheelchair basketball tournament. Oh, they've been very, um, what's the word, imaginative. To develop fundraising activities, the Students' Union has completely restructured Raise and Give this year, with a part-time RAG officer being replaced by a RAG committee of student volunteers. This has led to more of the union's sports clubs and societies organising their own fundraising activities, and it is thought that competitiveness between sports clubs has helped edge the total higher. Well, we wish them well, and hopefully we'll find out in um, later on whether they've done well uh, won an award or not but i couldn't find anything about it in the papers for this week so well um in this story um we've selected um i can't believe there's another giraffe <laughs> so anyway they'll run and run <laughs> it is actually a story about special memories in garden of snowdrops more than a thousand snowdrops have been installed in Worcester to create a special celebration garden. The snowdrops are part of a St Richard's Hospice campaign encouraging people to celebrate someone or something special with a symbolic snowdrop. The handcrafted flowers have been installed around the base of St Andrew's Spire under the watchful eye of Snowdrop, one of the 38-foot giraffe sculptures currently in position in the city. 
Event organiser Charlie Homer said planting the Snowdrop Garden was a really joyful and poignant occasion. Not only is it a unique focal point for celebration and reflection, each snowdrop will bring great comfort to those who adopt one. There are still snowdrops available, so we would encourage people to secure one as soon as possible. The snowdrops, which were installed by a team of volunteers, staff and garden sponsors, Western Power Distribution, will be on display until Monday, August the 27th as part of the Worcester Festival. Michael Wigmore, distribution manager at Western Power Distribution, said, We're delighted to lend our support to help make this unique and special project happen. To secure a snowdrop with a donation, you can visit, and here's a website, strichards.org.uk forward slash celebration garden or call the fundraising team on 01905 763963. Ceremony to mark new homes is our next story. Waterloo Housing Group and developers Jessup Brothers celebrated the completion of 38 new homes in Worcester. Resident Ms Alice Weston, together with her neighbour, planted a tree in Ambrose Close, Dines Green, to mark the occasion, and said, I'm really happy with my new home, it's beautiful, and I love that there is lots of open space outside. The new development was officially opened by the leader of Worcester City Council, Councillor Mark Bayliss, who expressed his delight at the completion of the new homes on land that the council had made available for Waterloo Housing Group. He said... This is a perfect example of how a true partnership can deliver new homes for the city. Anthony Riley from Water Housing Group said, We are delighted to complete this scheme as well as the scheme in Tintern Avenue as we have managed to offer new homes to 50 local residents at affordable rent or through our shared ownership option. We look forward to working on more schemes with the city in the future as we join forces with the local Fortis Living Group. Clive Jessup added, Jessup and Waterloo Housing Group have worked for 30 years on such schemes and we are very pleased with the quality and design of the homes and wish the residents every success. And this is about a show returning for its 67th year. Alpacas, pony rides and a dog show are just a few of the attractions at a show returning for its 67th year which is the Alfric and Lulzy show, which takes place on Saturday, September the 1st. The gates open at 12.30pm at Alfric, playing field WR6 5HJ. Directions to the show will be clearly signposted as you approach the village. The community is pleased to welcome back Mike George of BBC Hereford and Worcester, who will be the compare for the afternoon. In addition to the horticultural marquee and dog show, visitors will enjoy a host of side stalls and attractions, including a bar, tea, cakes and the village hall, and a selection of food stalls and ice cream. Children can enjoy pony rides, smiley the train rides, bungee jumping and trampolining, alpacas and more. For the older ones, there are classic cars, rifle shooting and archery, and music from the Worcester Concert Prass Band. Entry to the showground is £4 per adult and £1 for children between the ages of 5 and 16 years. Visit alfricandlulsley.org slash show dot page slash. 
Well, thank you everyone for that. Uh, we're going to now move on to the sports section of the paper and everyone has some selections to read to you and I will kick off with some good news about Worcester County Cricket Club. And the title is County to Host... No, I think I've got the wrong one there, actually. No, it is this one. County to Host Rivals, that's right. And we're talking about the T20 competition. Worcestershire Rapids face Gloucestershire in the Vitality Blast quarterfinals at Blackfinch New Road this Saturday at 3pm as they bid to reach finals day for the first time. Rapids topped the North Group after a win at Birmingham Bears helped them overhaul Durham Jets, whose game was abandoned on a superior run rate. Gloucestershire finished fourth in the South Group. Head coach Kevin Sharp said, We really did want to win at Bears. We wanted a home tie and we wanted to finish the group stages on a high. And really we've done that. It's great for the club, for the players and for all of us that we're going to get a home quarterfinal and hopefully this time, for the first time, it would be nice to go all the way. A Moeen Alley century set up Rapids' victory over Bears. Sharp said, Moeen's innings was class. Thank you to England for allowing him to come back and play. We were more than happy when we got that news in the afternoon. He loves playing for Worcestershire and has shown his class and it is a pleasure to watch that sort of ball striking. When he is in that sort of form, some bowlers are going to suffer. Tickets for the quarterfinal match are on sale now at Blackfinch New Road, should you be interested. And here's um, a cricket story um, about the cricket club's fourths. The Eric, 82, is the oldest player to turn out for the city. The oldest player yet stepped into the breach for Worcester Cricket Club's fourths. Eric Kemp, 82, filled in for an absent team member to help out his son Jeremy, who was captain. On holiday from St Ives in Cornwall, Kemp was visiting his son and volunteered to play against Barnard's Green Thirds at Newland. The veteran batted at number 11 for naught not out and fielded as the team lost by 10 wickets in Worcestershire League Division 7. Worcester were bowled out for 148 in 37 overs and Green strolled home with 150 naught inside 21. Right, a third cricket story. Very good news, this one, like the first one. High Class County, Hammer, Yorkshire. Head coach Kevin Sharp was delighted with Worcestershire's high class display as they overpowered Yorkshire by an innings and 186 runs in the Specsavers County Championship. The county's second win of the campaign means they are now only five points behind the Tykes in the battle to try to ensure Division 1 status. Sharp said, I worked for Yorkshire for 25 years and have really enjoyed coming back here this week. I've caught up with a lot of old friends. But I'm head coach at Worcestershire now and came here to do a job. I'd say we've done it very well. There's some fine young players in the dressing rooms and lads who've played a bit. They're all coming to the party and performing now. The confidence is high. We've had the difficult start to the championship campaign, but there was only one game where we'd been outplayed against Nottinghamshire at New Road. To see this performance, we looked a high-class team. Sharp praised the displays of Daryl Mitchell, who scored 178, and Moeen Alley, who scored 219 and took eight wickets, at Scarborough as the county secured a maximum 25 points. 
sorry, 24 points. He said, <laughs> inflating the points already. He said, Daryl has been around a long time and loves a fight. He knew it wouldn't be easy. Moeen is a flair player, but also played with such discipline, he left the ball a lot. The county needed only 40 minutes to wrap up victory on the final day. Moeen and Dylan Pennington shared the final four wickets as Yorkshire, who had resumed on 140 for six, were dismissed for 170 in 62.1 overs. England all-rounder Moeen finished with match figures of 8 for 89 to go alongside his double century and Pennington an overall return of 6 for 80. It was their first championship win over Yorkshire since the six-wicket success at Kidderminster in 2007. Moeen became the second county player after Ted Arnold against Warwickshire at Edgbaston way back in 1909 to take five or more wickets in an innings and score a double century in the same game. And this is, again, um, cricket, but quite sad. A former Worcestershire uh, wicketkeeper and batsman, Rodney Cass, has died at the age of 78. Cash played for the county in the late 1960s and the first half of the 1970s after moving from Essex, where he began his first-class career. He became the latest in a series of Yorkshire-born wicket-keepers to play for the county, including Sid Bullitt, Roy Booth and Steve Rhodes. All four feature in the top ten of the most dismissals by a keeper for the club, with Wakefield-born Cass responsible for 176 catches and 22 stumpings. The left-handed batsman achieved his highest first-class score of 172 not out against Leicestershire at Grace Road in 1975. After leaving Worcestershire, he played for Shropshire and became an MCC coach. Ex-Worcestershire chairman John Elliott said Rodney actually succeeded me on the county staff as keeper and he was brave, standing up a lot to the stumps in the same way as Ben Cox does today. He was very competitive and dedicated his life to cricket and was an advanced MCC coach who coached all around the world, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, etc. County CO Matt Rawnsley said Rodney kept his links with the club and was often seen at the club's annual Worcestershire Old Players Association Day. And a story about football now, Worcester City. Snape praises the cool heads of team. Manager John Snape lauded Worcester City for keeping calm during Tuesday's stormy 1-0 win at Coventry Sphinx in the Midland League Premier Division. Joe Bates struck the decisive penalty seven minutes before half-time, having been brought down by the outstretched arm of home keeper Tom Cross. Chances were few and far between at both ends, with the focus soon shifting to niggly fouls and the unseemly behaviour of individual Sphinx players, particularly in the build-up to the interval after City's goal. Bates went down, holding his head, having tangled with Jackson Downey, who was on a booking, in the centre circle two minutes after scoring, with Chris Johnson shoving Jordan Harrison to the floor in the melee that followed. Downey was involved again four minutes later, appearing to follow his foul on Chris Withington by treading on the grounded City midfielder in an unpublished video replay. Half-time came at the right time, but James Baldwin found himself continually singled out after the break, 
being goaded and pushed to the floor by his opponents, but referee Joseph Larkin failed to act. I make no bones about it, I was desperately upset with the referee's first-half performance, said Snape. There were situations there that should have led down a disciplinary route and it could have cost us dearly. I said to our lads, that is not the way I would want to see us play. And to be fair to them, I thought we looked after ourselves in the right manner on a tricky night and bobbly pitch. In the last 15 minutes of the first half, a few things happened against us that left me speechless. But everyone got around each other at half-time, stuck together and realised we could not get involved. Sphinx ultimately paid the price as their misdemeanours fragmented the pressure they'd built at the start of the second half. It was a very disciplined second-half performance. We saw out the long long throws, the barrage of balls into the box and dealt with it all admirably, Snape added. And here's a story about the black pair joggers of Worcester. Runners flock to tackle the wild one. Worcester's black pair joggers hosted a highlight of their calendar with the Wild One event. The multi-lap marathon challenge raised funds for Worcester charities Max Day Centre and Worcestershire Young Carers with £2,500 in total. The off-road contest, hosted from Old Elizabethan's Cricket Club, remembers club founding member Stuart Wilde, who died in 2013, and included an ultra-runner this year. There was fancy dress on show in hot temperatures and youngsters started proceedings through a wild mile with Thomas Rushton and Ellie Atwood winning. Chris Atwood was joined by Clive Andrews, Jay Warner, Darren Lynn and Rob Bowery in The Young Ones, who were the first team of five. The Irish-Welsh combo of Ryan Little and Meg Judge won the pair's race. The men's solo winner was Paul Davis in 3 hours 32 minutes, 24 seconds, with Angie Sadler taking the women's honours in 4 hours, 2 minutes and 28 seconds. For the ultra-distance event, the Peaky Blinders team um, managed 15 laps between them. The male winner was Neil Heron with 14 laps, and Emily Seward won the female event with 15. Mark Rose, Alison Law and Matt Smith managed 12 each. Thank you, Catherine. I was going to read you a football story headed Hereford Beaton, but I'd find that too upsetting. So (laughs) we'll look at some athletics, shall we, before we finish with sport. Hopkins is Midlands champ, it says. Danielle Hopkins, that is. Danielle Hopkins starred as Worcester Athletic Club prospects headed to the Midlands under-15 and under-17 track and field championships in Nuneaton. Heptathlete Hopkins, whose lead coach is Deirdre Elmhurst, became Midlands champion in the girls' under-17s high jump with a leap of 1.68 metres. She also won silver medals in the shot put with 11.22 and triple jump with 11.02 after training with coaches Quentin Elmhurst and Mike Bennett, respectively. All three performances were just below her personal best records. Two under-15s athletes from Worcester also came home with medals. Callum Brassington-Meehan, coached by Roger Turner, won silver in the boys' 100 metres with a personal best of 11.65 seconds. And Poppy Elton, coached by Jeff Aston, claimed bronze in the girls' 800 in 2 minutes 27.94 seconds. 
Sarah Jane Ollis, coached by Bennett, competed in both 100 and 200 metres, reaching the final in the former and clocking 13.22. Well, it must be the summer because there wasn't much sport, was there? And we will now uh, do the obituaries. And Jane, if you would start, we're going to all read some because I think it's quite hard listening to the same person. So everyone's going to do some of them. Right. We start with um, Ryland, Maxine Mary, passed away peacefully after a long illness on August the 12th, 2018. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, August the 29th, at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Acorns Children's Hospice Trust may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-79, to Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. And then McCabe, Eddie. Sadly passed away on Saturday, August the 11th, aged 73. Service will be held at Elim Church, Lowesmore, September the 14th at 11am. Normal clothing. No flowers. Donations to Richard's Hospice. Stokes, Patricia Margaret. Sadly passed away on August the 13th, 2018, aged 68 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, August the 29th at 10.45am. Family files only, please. Donations, if desired, to Cancer Research UK. Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, Worcester, WR25BT. Wait, knee Russia, Carol. Passed away peacefully on August the 7th, 2018. Funeral to take place at St Stephen's Church, Worcester, on Thursday, August the 30th at 1.30pm. Family flowers only, but donations if desired to cancer research. Brickley, Thelma. Thelma passed peacefully away on July the 29th, 2018, aged 88 years. Funeral to be held at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, August the 30th at 11.30am. Family flowers only. Any donations go to on-site advocacy via the funeral directors, Andrew Phillips. Massey, Stephen David of Warnden, passed away suddenly in hospital on August the 2nd, 2018, aged 58. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, August the 30th at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for Diabetes UK or Kidney Research UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Elmsley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Price. Clifford James, passed away peacefully on August the 7th, aged 92 years. Funeral service to take place on Friday 7th of September at 12.15pm at Worcester Crematorium. The family have requested no black, please. Donations, if required, 
to be divided between British Heart Foundation and Parkinson's UK. No flowers, please. All other inquiries to Hoskins Family Funerals, 01905 27862. Harris Carol Louise sadly passed away on Thursday, August the 9th, aged 72. Funeral service to take place on Thursday, August the 30th at Christchurch, Chalesmore, Coventry, CV3 5GT at 1pm, followed by a private cremation. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, made payable to Mighton Hospice. All inquiries, care of Henry Ison and Sons, Coventry, telephone 02476... Four five eight six six five. Oswald Wellen, known as Oscar, passed away peacefully in hospital on Tuesday, July the thirty-first, aged ninety. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, August the twenty-eighth, at one forty-five p.m. Flowers or donations, if desired, for the Midlands Air Ambulance may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. A collection plate will also be available at the crematorium. Joan Gwyneth Bird, née Pulteney. Joan passed away peacefully on her 95th birthday, August the 10th, 2018. Funeral service at Kroll Church on Wednesday, August the 29th at 2pm. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, to Anthony Nolan. Bullock Keith Wilson passed away at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on August the 10th, 2018, aged 76 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, August the 24th at 10.45am. Flowers may be sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care, 17 Lowersmore, Worcester, WR1-2RS. Gore, Peter Anthony, passed away peacefully on Tuesday, August the 7th. Funeral service to be held on Monday, September the 3rd at 1pm at Worcester Crematorium. Please wear something pink. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, to Regent's Court Care Home may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Wombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Jew, nay Greenhill, Joan Ethel, passed away on August the 12th, 2018, aged 89. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, August the 24th, 2018, at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, to the Alzheimer's Society at the desk. Cash only or directly to the charity via www.alzheimer's.org.uk. Jex, Paul James, also known as Smile, sadly passed away on Saturday the 4th of August 2018, aged 41 years. There will be a service to celebrate Paul's life 
at Cook Hill Village Hall, Evesham Road, Cook Hill, B495JR, on Thursday the 30th of August 2018 at 1pm, followed by the burial at Westall Park Natural Burial Ground, finishing with festivities and memories of happy times at the Boot Inn, Flyford Flavel, WR74BS. Family, friend, family flowers only, please, with charitable donations, if so desired, to Midlands Air Ambulance or Headway. All inquiries to Thomas Brothers, the funeral directors, and the phone number for that is 01527 Middleton. Thomas Raymond, MBE, known as Ray, sadly passed away on July 28th, aged 93. Funeral service on Tuesday, August 28th at St. Philip and St. James Hallow at 10.30am. Family flowers only, please, with donations for Rethink Mental Illness. All inquiries to George Crump and Son, Funeral Directors, 01905 773339. Millington, nay Jones, Barbara. Passed away peacefully after a long illness on August 5th, 2018, aged 73 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, August 24th at 1130 Family flowers only, please, but donations, if required, if desired, for St. Richard's Hospice. These may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Rowbottom, Michael Edward, formerly of Quinton, Birmingham. Passed away peacefully on July 31st, 2018. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, August 28th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for the RAF Benevolent Fund. These may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housewell Road, Malvern, Worcestershire, WR14 1TL. Saunders, Elizabeth Margaret, known as Liz, passed away suddenly on Thursday, August 9th, 2018. Funeral at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, September the 4th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only. Donations, if desired, to the Blind ASS or British Heart Foundation. Truman, Nasheen, Sarah Jane. Sarah sadly passed away at St. Richard's Hospice on August 7th, 2018, aged 31 years. A service to celebrate her life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, August 29th at 1pm. Please wear black and white as Sarah requested. Family flowers only, please. Donations for Maggie's, Cheltenham, may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housewell Road, Malvern, Worcestershire, WR14 1TL. Thank you everyone for those. The thought for the week comes from um, John this week. It's John 3, verses 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And I also have here the lighting up times for tonight. It's uh, sunset, well, that's been and gone at 2016. Lighting up time was 8.46pm and sunrise tomorrow is 6.08am. And the last thing we have on our list tonight is the birthday file, which I'm opening now. And from us all, we'd like to wish Robert Bell a very happy birthday for um, the 29th of August. Enjoy your special day, Robert. And if there's anyone out there who would like to uh, have their birthday mentioned, please get in touch and we'll put it in the birthday book. So that concludes everything for tonight, except for me to say a big thank you to all our readers and the production team. And I have to confess I made a mistake earlier on. Carol is actually on holiday because it's the bank holiday weekend. So a big thank you to Duncan Wynne, who has stepped in to replace her and is doing the administration and copying for this week's edition. Thank you very much, Duncan. So it's a goodbye from John, who's waving again from the other side of the glass frantically. And goodbye from... Uh, Goodbye from me, Catherine. And goodbye from me, Philip. And goodbye from me, Jane. And goodbye from me, Pippa. And have a great bank holiday weekend. Thank you.